Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Glad you guys are all here on a Sunday morning. Uh, presence of the Lord is a wonderful thing, isn't it? There's no place I'd rather be than just in the presence of God. And um, I'm very thankful for, for a church that worships, for a church that prays. You know, first service, there was a, a, a young mother who uh, came with her small group for prayer uh, at the end of the worship session. She, she came down with all the friends that she'd built through her group. And, um, and there was a, just a powerful moment of prayer. And I just want to say, it's important that when you come to a church like this, that you don't, um, you don't stop at the threshold of coming on Sunday, but you've got to enter into a place where people know you, where you know people, where, where people can pray with you. Um, because you, you might not, you know, like, you might not... It might not be a group that's super deep and all of that, but what you will find is you're going you're gonna to discover people you can go deep with. And that's what we need. We need people in our lives that, that know how and when to pray with us, people that will cover our children in prayer, people that will come over and watch our kids because they know we're losing our mind. Amen? <clears throat> Very good. Well, we... Um, we put in permits to to expand the building, so that's that's a new thing. That's pretty cool. So yeah, it's um, I, I'll bring pictures next next time and show you. But yeah, it's I'm just super excited about what God is doing. I I've never really done a building type program before, and I know this is we're building inside of a building, but um, man, it's a long process, and um. But thank you for being faithful to, uh, to the house of the Lord and for all you've done. Um, I, j- I never really point people out during the middle of my sermons because I think it's really tacky. But I just want to be tacky with somebody right now because this person was in our youth group when they were 12 years old. And I just so, like, made my, my summer to see you, brother. Stephen, would you just put your hand up so people could see you? Uh, so good to see you. So good to see you. Um, yeah, so he's had to put up with me for a long time. As a, as a youth leader, I'm sure he's, um, he's either swallowed fish or observed people swallowing fish uh, in a church service before. Um, I'm pretty sure he has eaten uh, blended ladybugs. And so, um, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm crying because I saw you. Don't do this to me. Um, hey, so... Next week is going to be incredibly special. We've got some uh, amazing friends that are going to be with us. Um, I, when we used to have guest speakers, I, f- I found that like people would, would not show up. Um, and and they just kind of like disappear. Like, the pastor's not preaching, I'm not coming. 
and I figured out the trick. The trick is just to bring in speakers that are better than me, and then you guys all come. And so um, we've got an incredible couple coming next week. Uh, Pastor Craig and Moni Lotz from Spokane, Washington will be here, and they are absolutely incredible people, like amazing, uh, amazing people. Our team got to spend a little bit of time with them at a conference recently, and instantly everybody was saying like, oh, these are the people, they're amazing. And so you don't want to miss next week, it's going to be amazing. Um, yeah. So two weeks ago, I, I talked on the, uh, the Holy Spirit, and Afterwards, I, I just received like a lot of follow-up questions from people. Just had a ton of follow-up questions. And I figured, well, if we're getting follow-up questions, we should probably just keep answering questions. So, uh, so today, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk about speaking in tongues. Awkward. Oh, it's one of those churches. I got it. <laughs> Honey, this is, this is awkward. Okay, no, no. Um, I just think there's, there's a lot of uh, questions. I don't think. You guys had a lot of questions. I got a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations, a lot of emails, and uh, texts, and stuff like that. People just having follow-up questions. And, and here's the deal. Um, the, the Bible, it's one of the most misunderstood things in the church, certainly in the American church, not, not in the global church. The global, outside of the American church, this is very normal. Like, like, these are, like, even in, like, the Southern Baptist Convention, outside of America, very normal. Inside America, we have resistance towards it, and we make it, um, we make it confusing. And so, uh, so we're going to talk about it. It's, it's uh, spoken of throughout the New Testament, and it, it was normal in the New Testament church. And so we're going to go there. Is that all right? Yeah. Like, like, people are good with the gifts of the Spirit. It's just, like... Tongues is controversial, and I love a good controversy, so let's go for it. It's going to be good. Um, I want to start out by talking about how Jesus introduces this idea in Luke chapter 11. In, in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what I find so amazing is that often when you hear this verse quoted, the concept that is being taken away is God gives good gifts. But it's more specific than that. It's not just God gives good gifts. It's God gives a good gift called the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Very specific. Um, and we, we learn about speaking in tongues from two different places in, in the New Testament, primarily from two different places. Um, the, the first is going to be in the book of Acts. The book of Acts records uh, the first 40 years or so of the first church. And so it's going to tell us what happened. Um, so that means it's like descriptive. It's describing what happened. And then there are other books of the Bible that will talk about it, and we're, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians, which isn't descriptive, it's prescriptive. So one, one is telling you what happened, one is telling you how it should look. Does that make sense? Um, and so we're going to put those two together. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, uh, this is uh, when this first kicked off in the church. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together 
in one place. And this is an interesting thing. It says the day of Pentecost. And, and I know we've got denominations that like Pentecostals or what is all that. You know, all the, here's the deal. Here's what denominations are based on, guys. We, we build castles around the beliefs that form our, our uh, that become fundamental to us. That's what it is. So Baptists build a castle around baptism, and then we call it Baptist. And uh, Methodists build a castle around methods, and we call it Methodism. And Pentecostals build a castle around Pentecostal experience. And so th- that's where they come from. I just want you to know, God's intention is not that we would have our little silos and argue over petty things. It's not God's intention. When we see the word Pentecost here, all the word means is 50. It's like it's similar to the English word 50. <laughs> and, and why it's significant is this. It, it, I'm going to give you some historical context. It goes back to when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. When, when, the, when God was calling the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible tells us that God commanded them to kill uh, a lamb and to roast its meat and to uh, take its blood and put it on the doorpost of their house, which is really disgusting. It's gross. Thank the Lord we don't do that today, right? But the idea is that they put the blood around the doorpost, and then God told them, he said, now I want you to eat the, the roasted the meat uh, with your bags packed, ready to leave. Like, you know, it's like God's trying to get the kids out the door. Like, I need the bags packed. I, like, we got to be ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got, got kids going to school tomorrow. You're like, you need to get your clothes sorted out tonight. Pro tip, parent. Get your kids' clothes together for tomorrow, tonight. And that's what God's doing. He's a good parent. And, uh, and God tells him, I'm going to send a death angel through. And he does. So he sends this death angel through the land, and this is a kind of a scary thing for us because we typically think of God as a God of grace, a God of love, and we forget that's because we're, we're in a new covenant, which, which is, uh, gives us access to the grace and love of God, but God is still a God of justice. He's still a God of holiness, and he's still a God of truth, and he sends a death angel through Egypt, and the death angel takes the firstborn of everything that did not have blood on the doorpost. So every firstborn son, every firstborn cow, like every, he just, it's it's a horrible, it's kind of hard to reconcile. This is what happens. And then God uses this moment to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. So they exit during what's called the Passover. It's called the Passover because the death angel is passing over. And then, Fifty days later, after they're in the wilderness, they find themselves at a mountain called Sinai. And at this mountain, God invites the children of Israel onto the mountain so that they can become a kingdom of priests. That's God's invitation, that they would be an entire nation where every single person is a priest. And what that means is everyone has direct connection to God and does not need to go through another person. But the people tell God, no, we will not go on the mountain. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know, I love it. Like, like the most outspoken, like outgoing person in our church is the bookkeeper. I love it. <laughs> <clears throat> 
I've told somebody this the other day. I, I wish everybody could like sit in the in the trustee meetings and see like how incredibly faithful and good you are at stewarding the church's finances. Like, I have so much so much confidence in that. I love it. Um, and so um, anyway, um, so God, God, they tell God we don't want to go in the mountain. So God's response then is this. He says. He says, well, then in that case, if you even touch the mountain, you will die. So God's not the kind of person you, like, tell jokes to. He's not like a joker, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not, God's like, oh, he's, like, serious. You know, have you ever done that? You, like, told somebody a joke you thought was real funny, and they're like, they, they didn't think it was funny. That's what God does. God's like, then you die if you touch the mountain. He's creating this clear boundary. He's very good at boundaries, people. And so he creates a boundary, and Moses goes on the mountain. And when Moses is on the mountain, all the children of Israel at the base of the mountain watching the mountain. They know Moses is communing with God. And the Bible describes what they experience. What they experience experience is this. They're, they're on the, the, the valley floor looking at the mountain, and they see fire and smoke coming from the top of the mountain, like fire and smoke on the top of the mountain. They see strong winds blowing around the mountain, and they hear inaudible or unintelligible voices speaking from the cloud. A very scary experience. Can I get an amen? That was 50 days, or Pentecost, after Passover. Now what happens in the New Testament is this. Jesus dies. He is the sacrifice. He's, he's the symbolic lamb of God for us on Passover, paying the price for any sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit. And he resurrects and he spends time with his disciples. And after 40 days with his disciples, he ascends towards heaven. He tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And when they go to Jerusalem... On the 50th day after Jesus went down, this would be Pentecost, something happens in this upper room. And here's what happens. It says, when the, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, which is a miracle in and of itself, that the church could all be together, unified. Okay, <clears throat> he ain't lying. Okay, so, and then it says this in verse 2. Suddenly, a remember, look at the parallel here between Moses on the mountain and what God is doing now. Suddenly, and the times are the same dates. Parallel. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And then, uh, and all of them, everybody say, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So I want to stop for a moment and just say, it's the spirit that enabled them. It's not the spirit grabbing their mouth, going, blah, 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 like, that's not what it is. It's not like somebody trying to pray with you and they're like tapping the bottom of your chin, like telling you weird phrases like, you know, see me tie my bow tie or whatever. Like none of that. The spirit is enabling them to speak in tongues. This is in the New Testament. <clears throat> the word there that's used for tongues is the word glossa. It's the same word that you get your English word glossary from. It simply means words. So when someone is speaking in tongues, they're not just doing gibberish. It's not just babbling. According to scripture, it's words. It's words. Scripture goes on. 
verse 5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And that's because it's during the Feast of Pentecost. They've all come to the temple to, to, uh, to worship God. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hear them in our native language? So there are Jews from nations around the world, and they come, and Galilee is this very rural farm town in the north. It's a farm region. So basically what they're saying is, aren't these people from Nyssa? Like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. But he's like, aren't these people from a small town on eastern Oregon? Like, how are they speaking all these languages? That's what they're, 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 they're implying. These people should not have the education to know our languages. That's what they're saying. So the first thing I want to say about speaking in tongues is this. Speaking in tongues is a language. It's not gibberish. It's not babbling. It's not just syllables. According to Scripture, it's a language. Acts chapter 2, verse 12 says it like this. In the same, the same account, this is just a few minutes later, it says that the people were amazed and perplexed. Some were super excited about it, and some were very unsure about it. Amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. They're drunk. And so, so this is the two camps of people you will always see when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, I had people... Uh, well, anytime I talk about this, I know that there are two groups of people in the room. There, there's people in the room that, that, that are like, Pastor, I wish you'd talk about this every week. And I got other people, <laughs> you're like, uh-huh. And then I got other people in the room that are like, I am so uncomfortable right now. I don't know if I'm ever coming back. <clears throat> but, but here's the thing. It says that they, they made fun of them. And, and I just want to encourage you, don't, don't mock uh, somebody pressing into the things of God. Don't do that. That's, that's not a good, a good thing to do. Um, be open to what God has for you. Does anybody want what, everything God has for you? Yeah. We should, we should want. Come on, double hands. It goes on, and it says it like this in verse 14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, and he said, Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He says, let me explain what's going on. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose because we are all teetotalers. That's not, that's not actually what he says. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What he says is that you're, they're not drunk as you suppose because it's nine in the morning, which hasn't stopped some of you. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that was his argument. He says, it's too early in the morning, people. Come on. You can't be, you can't be saying that. And, and then he says, no, that's not what it is. They're not drunk. He says, instead... No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And now he's going to quote an Old Testament prophet, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 31. He quotes this. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So he's saying in the last days. And I think sometimes as American believers, we think the last days are a point on a flip chart somewhere. 
Biblically, that's not what we're talking about when we say last days. We're not talking about a a point on a flip chart. We're talking about a period of time in which God is revealing his his spirit to people. That's what we're talking about. He, He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This is one of the unique markers of God pouring out his spirit on people. It's this, that in a first century world where women had no rights, where people were divided based on socioeconomic standards, where people were divided based on race and gender, like all of that stuff, God says, when I do something in your world, you'll know it because all of those barriers are going to disappear. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on men and women. I'm going to pour out my spirit on young and old. I'm going to pour out, he says it like this, he says, servants, it's not just servants, it's a word for slave. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit not just on you that have money, but I'm going to pour out my spirit on people that don't have money because God is no respecter of people. When God does a thing, he brings people together. This is why when you look throughout history, at any time there's a Holy Spirit revival or outpouring, it has always appeared to be a renewal or a revival of people coming together from different races. It always looks like it's a social justice thing. So, so like in, in America in the early 1900s, What was so amazing about the Pentecostal revivals in L.A. was they were led by a black man. A one-eyed black man was creating revival in America in the early 1900s. Amazing. And it was very united, and people were all getting along. But what happened just about... 30 years later is as we mature in our faith, as we become more sophisticated, we redraw our lines, don't we? I'm just saying what God wants to do on the earth is for everyone. Mark of a healthy church is diversity. And not diversity by today's although everyone should feel welcome. Here's what Zephaniah says. And Zephaniah is a fun book of the Bible. How many people have read Zephaniah? Like, I didn't know there was a Zephaniah. That's a name. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9 says this. "Then Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. God's promise to the world was there will be a moment when God purifies the lips of all people and he will cause them to serve God shoulder to shoulder. It's God's will that you're shoulder to shoulder with people that don't look like you, that don't think like you, that don't smell like you. That's God's will. That's God's will. So the Holy Spirit is a Language. These first people understood the languages. A couple weeks ago, we prayed for a church in Rathdrum, Idaho. I don't know. Were you guys, did we do that here? I know we did in first service. We did, yeah. So we prayed for a church in Rathdrum, Idaho. The, the pastor's name is uh, Craig Rice, and his, his wife, her name is Andrea. And 
they, she grew up as a missionary kid to Taiwan. And um, the first time I ever remember meeting her, I was a little kid. They came through our church. Back in the day, churches used to do these. Uh, when a missionary would go out, the missionary would come back to the United States to raise money. We called that deputization. They'd come back and they'd raise money and they'd show film strips. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, and then they do like the slide carousels. Like, that's real church, you know, slide carousels. And, uh, and they came and they were doing that. <clears throat> well, that little girl had an older sister that went to Bible school with my older sister, Ellen, who spoke uh, about a month ago. Do you guys remember? Okay, you guys know Ellen? Okay, you can ask her. You can follow up and ask her if this is true. She was there. She, I think she's here. I think I saw her. There's their point in somewhere. But here, here's the deal. When she was in Bible school, she went to school with that girl, Andrea's older sister. And there was a prayer meeting going on. And there, was, there were people speaking in tongues in the prayer meeting. And, and during that prayer meeting, there was one, one young lady that was speaking in tongues. And another woman next to her speaking in tongues. And it sounded like the same vocabulary. It sounded like the same language as they were praying. And one of them was praying very, um, like, like they're consoling. So it would kind of go back and forth. And it would sound like she was consoling the other person. And the other person, as she was praying, it sounded like she was just sobbing and weeping, like just heartbroken. And when this, this girl from Taiwan walked in the room, she got in there to, for the prayer meeting, and then she realized, I, I know what they're saying. I understand them. And so she sat down next to them and started listening. And as she was listening, she began to hear a story that nobody else in the room knew. Because the one girl that, that seemed very heartbroken, she had had some difficult experiences in her past. And when no one else in the room knew, she, later she told them, she said, want me to tell you what you were saying? Said, yeah. The one girl was saying, she was crying and saying, but what about the baby that I gave up for abortion? What about that baby? And the other girl was saying, you're fine, honey. That baby is in the arms of Jesus. In a language that no one else in the room understood. I just think that's a, that's a healing thing, especially to have a moment where someone can interpret that. That's healing. So it's a language. But it's not just a language. It is also a language. Speaking in tongues is a language of the Spirit. People ask me this. This is one of the questions I received two weeks ago. Okay, is it, is it a human language or is it a spiritual language? And the answer is yes. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. There used to be this, this real resistance in the American church towards the gifts of the Spirit in general. Just a resistance towards it, people pushing against it. I had somebody come to me after first service weeping saying, I've just never heard someone just give this a fair shake. And, and, and here's the deal. There used to be a resistance. At this point in, in church history, there's not a lot of resistance. Just about every, uh, every, every group has this in, 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 their, in their walk with God. Like just about every group does. The problem is now it's not a resistance. Now it's an apathy towards the Holy Spirit. 
And now it's not that, that people don't, they're not okay with it. It's that they just think, ah, I don't know if it's really a big deal. It's probably not for me. Like I don't, it's just kind of weird. There's, they're apathetic. There's no hunger towards it. I, I want to point out, Paul, Paul does not say, like, hey, if you'd like this, this is good. What Paul says is this. He says, desire earnestly or, 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 or like go for, be hungry for, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Because the way the church operates best is not when we have a figurehead on a stage with lights talking to people. The way the church operates best is when every single one of us have been able to recognize and activate the gifts of God that are within us, and we move throughout the world with that. So for Paul, it's not a suggestion. For Paul, it's like, please go for it. Like, this is a good thing. Like, you need this in your life. He goes on in verse 2. He says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. I don't know how to process that. He says, anybody who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. It's not a human language here. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, speaking in tongues, he says they're speaking mysteries by the Spirit that they don't, they don't understand, nobody else understands. And then he goes on, he says, this is in verse 14 of the same chapter, he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I think so many of us are resistant towards speaking in tongues because we, need to, we feel like we need to know what we're saying. And that's not what's taught in Scripture. What is taught in Scripture is that our mind does not know what we're saying. He says, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I shall pray with my spirit, but I shall also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Paul is saying you have two avenues at which you can communicate with God. One is through the human language you've been given. The other is a way that you're, it's not an intellectual communication. This is a spirit communication. And he's saying you can communicate with God this way. I also want to point out, he says this, if I pray in a tongue. He's not commanding it. He's not forcing it. I, I was raised in a church where it was demanded of everybody. And it's just not, that's not the biblical precedent. It's, it's not. It's if you pray in a tongue. This is, this is available to you. It's available to you. It's not demanded. And if you pray in a tongue, it's, it's your spirit that is praying. I, I love, for me, it's just exciting. because To see how God is using this around the globe in different denominations. One of my favorite theologians, uh, his name is N.T. Wright. Um, he was the Bishop of Durham. He's an Anglican bishop. He's, uh, he's one of the most like, he's just so smart. He's got a British accent, so when he talks, you're like, you're like seven degrees smarter than I thought you were. He's so smart that when he writes books, he writes them under two names. One is N.T. Wright, that's all theological, and the other is Tom Wright for the rest of us, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, he's really incredible, and this was during 2020. Somebody asked him a question about the Holy Spirit. They, they, they just said, because they, they had assumed, basically, that he would not really be into this, and, and his response was incredible. He said it was in 1986 that he'd been called out of being just a professional academic into being 
the chaplain and a lecturer at Oxford. So his role was changing. He was now going to be pastoring uh, students at Oxford as well as lecturing. And, and he just felt really in over his head. He said working in the academic side of things was easy for him. He was overwhelmed with the idea of how do I handle people's difficult problems that aren't in textbooks? And as he was wrestling through this, he had a conversation with his cousin who lived in Winnipeg. And his cousin said, she said, well, maybe God wants to give you a gift that will help you with this. Maybe a gift like tongues. And N.T. Wright didn't really believe in all of that. But he said, okay. She laid her hands on him, prayed with him, and he started speaking in tongues. And he said, this was not my intention. This is not what was supposed to happen, but this happened. And then N.T. Wright talks about how incredible it was. I'm talking about like a bishop with a fancy collar and everything. And he says this. Here's two quotes from him that I just thought were so incredible. He says, the many, many times when I have needed to pray into a particular situation, but I was not sure of the particular thing I should be praying for, I was able to pray in tongues. He says, I have found that on many, many occasions that the use of tongues in private prayer has enabled me to hold people and situations in the love of God in a way which, for some reason, is just different than praying for so-and-so. So, when we pray in tongues, it is a language. It's words. It's a language. It's a spiritual language also. It's both. And the third thing is it is a prayer language. That's what N.T. Wright is getting at here. It's for use in prayer. There's a difference between speaking in tongues in a public setting and in private prayer. And in fact, I would say the public setting one, according to Paul, is, is not discouraged, but it's, it's not as encouraged as doing it privately. And here's what, he's, here's what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Pastor, are you saying that I have to speak in tongues? Are you saying that I have to speak in tongues to be saved? Not at all. But I am saying that you have to speak in tongues if you want to get from here over to Costco on a Thursday. Apostle Paul, the, the, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Two-thirds more than I wrote, two-thirds more than you wrote. He, he is the premier scholar of Pauline theology because it's his theology. And while he teaches us fundamental doctrines like we are saved by grace through faith. Anybody know you're saved not by anything you ever did. You didn't jump through some hoop. You have a merciful God that saved you. But he also teaches that there are gifts that God wants to activate in the church and in the body of Christ that give you power. It, it is a prayer language. Here's what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or 14, verse 4. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. And this is something I can attest to. When you speak in tongues, it, it, is, it is this edifying thing. And then he says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. He's contrasting the two. When you speak in tongues, you are edified. When you prophesy, everyone. Watch this. Have you ever been in a moment where someone has a prophetic word for someone else? 
Sometimes this will happen in a, in a Sunday service. Sometimes it will happen in a small group. Somebody just be like, and, and prophecy is not some weird, like, I'm seeing visions from, like, you might, but doesn't, what it, all prophecy means is I can recognize what God is doing and I can articulate what God is doing. Like, I see what God is doing in your life. You might not see it yet, but I'm going to articulate that. That's prophecy, people. And so when, when that happens, sometimes in a church service, somebody will be getting a prophetic word and, and, and they're, they're receiving it. It's a moment. But for everyone else, like everyone else, all of us, we're just like, whoo, this is amazing. I feel like God is in this moment. Like something's inside of me is being built up right now. My faith is growing stronger. When we speak in tongues, it's the same thing, but no one else is feeling that. So while someone can give a prophetic word and we're all like, I can go into my, my time of prayer alone without any of you and I can experience the same thing. So I can build myself up in my spirit person. Like I can, I can grow my strength spiritually, grow my confidence spiritually because it edifies me. It's not for you. It says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. This is the Apostle Paul. But I would rather have you prophesy. He says, I want you to all speak in tongues, but, but I would like you to, uh, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. What Paul is doing is he's correcting a church that they would come together and they would all speak in tongues. They would be on YouTube. <laughs> and what he's saying is like, that's great that you have this connection. This is a great thing but it's not for a public setting. I would rather, if you're in a public setting, for you to use words that actually mean something to the other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. The Apostle Paul was so competitive, wasn't he? <laughs> so competitive. I speak in tongues more than all of you. Uh, like, <laughs> who puts that sentence in their letter? Like, it's just a weird... Verse 39, therefore, my brothers and my sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. It should be normal. It should be part of the church life. I'd like to address three myths about speaking in tongues. The first myth is this, is that when you start speaking in tongues, I'm, I'm going to speak fluently the first time. That's not how it works for you in Spanish, is it? Some of, some of my Hispanics are like, yes. <laughs> no, no, like you, you don't speak any language fluently the first time. You, you learn phrases, you learn moments. Like this is, this is normal. You, you grow into it. Fluent means it flows. Fluent means it's, it's fluid. It means like you have a very comprehensive understanding of it. And I just want to say like that's a pretty high expectation to have of yourself. Like I've learned a couple of different languages. I, I learned French because I grew up in Canada. I learned Spanish. I, I learned Greek in school. Just wanted to flex a little bit. And, and <clears throat> I'm not good at any of them anymore, but here's the deal. But I didn't learn them. I wasn't fluent the first day. Like, I was learning little phrases. I would say things, and, and, and like, puis-je aller aux toilettes, s'il vous plaît, right? All my French people know I just asked to use the bathroom because that's an important, like, you learn little phrases, and you find yourself repeating the same phrase over and over again. I've, I've seen people that speak in tongues, and they say, I feel like I just keep saying the same thing over and over again. You probably are, because you're just, you're just kicking the tires. You're just testing the waters. You're, that's fine. It's, it's normal to take time 
to grow into a thing. And so for me, when, when I'm in a moment where I need to compose myself, I need to pray, maybe I'm going into a hard conversation, maybe I'm about to have a difficult conversation, I'll, I'll sit in my car, I'll turn on worship music. Like the kind of worship music that moves me. I, because I believe it changes the atmosphere. Like it helps me. In the Old Testament, the prophets would say this. They'd say, bring me a minstrel um, with an I, not an E. And he says, bring me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. And, and, and he says, bring me a musician is what he's saying. Because there's this thing that when we play music, it, it changes the atmosphere. And, and I'll start speaking in tongues in my car. And... and and there may be a fluency there, but it's, be, it's over a, a long time of use. If you get around someone that's spoken in tongues a long time, they're going to sound like they, like they have this thing they're doing. Get, get around somebody that's brand new, it sounds like they're saying the same thing over and over again. That's, that's like with any language. Because according to Scripture, it's a, it's a language. But the beautiful thing is that even when you are not fluent in a language, and you go to a foreign land like Mexico and you try your language with them, they don't condemn you for it. They might giggle when you pronounce things wrong, but they're super excited that you're trying. They're, they're, they're happy you're trying their language. It's honoring to a culture when you try their language. And I believe God is the same way. I don't think God condemns you because you're trying to learn how to, how to spread your spiritual wings and grow a little bit. I think God is excited. The second thing a myth about the Holy Spirit, is that you cannot control it. I think this myth comes from the idea that we, th we think of speaking in tongues as like a, God, a good version of being possessed. You know what I mean? Like God's just going to grab me and I'm going to like start speaking. Like no, that's not what, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's not possession. It's a gift. It's God giving you a gift. It's the same thing with any other gift in the world. Like, like if you have the gift of teaching, it's not like you're like, oh, like I just can't stop teaching. Like I just can't. Like, no, you have a gift. You exercise it. You develop it. You grow. Like, like that's how gifts are. Same thing with speaking in tongues. It's a gift. You exercise it. Remember, as the, the Spirit enables them, He gives you the ability to. You do it, but it doesn't, He doesn't control you. I, I remember we had a guy in our church that. Uh, he, he was always afraid to speak in tongues because he was afraid that if he spoke in tongues, he would fall on the ground, start rolling around, and lose his dentures. <laughs> and the reason he was afraid of it was because that happened to him once. Can I just tell you, church, the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. People are weird. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32 says this. The spirits, are subject, uh, the spirits of a prophet are subject to the control of a prophet. What I'm saying is that when God is working through you, you can shut it off. You can stop it. A lot of people want to experience this, but what they say is, God, I just, they pray, and they're like, God, would you, uh, I want to speak in tongues, and then, and what they, they're expecting, like, God's going to, like, mechanically take over their body. Like, no, that's not how it works. It's a gift. It's a gift from God 
God, God's not going to possess you. He's not going to take over your mouth. That's not what's going to happen. In, in the same way that any other gift that you surrender to God, you've got to exercise it. Again, teaching. If you've got a gift of teaching, the only way you grow in that gift is when you, when you teach. Uh, the, the, the only way you, you grow in a gift. Administration is a spiritual gift. Do you know that in the Bible, it's, there's a spiritual gift called administration? I thank God for people with the gift of administration. But God isn't creating your spreadsheets and your checklists. He doesn't do that. He enables, he gives you unique insight into it. He, he makes it available to you, but you're the one with the The gift of giving is a great one, right? Like giving is a gift of, of the spirit in, in the scripture. Like there are people that are uniquely gifted by God to be able to create money and as well as give money. And, 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 and they do this. But, but like if you have the gift of giving, like the only way you're gonna develop the gift of giving is by giving. No, pastor, I've got the gift of giving, and I just, once I make a million dollars, then I'm going to give. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because if you don't care about somebody enough to give them the $1 you've got, you're not giving them $100 tomorrow. The way you develop gifts is by exercising the gifts. God doesn't write your checks out for you. You do it. You do it. And this really matters, this idea that he doesn't control, he doesn't, he's not going to take over control of you. It matters because that's what Paul is addressing in the church, in this book, in this chapter. He's addressing what happens when people think it means they have no control over themselves. This Corinthian church, yeah, they, they would be on YouTube, they would have gone viral several times because they were all coming together, all speaking in tongues, and Paul's like, no, 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 you're freaking people out. Don't do that when guests are around. That's a private thing. If you're public, prophesy. If you're in public, don't be just rattling off in tongues. That's what he says. Because the truth is, is that our worship towards God, or our time with God, if it is distracting to other people around us, it's exactly that. It's a distraction. If we're here to worship God, but I can't get past the way you're doing things right now, you're out of order. good. And this is why, personally, you're probably not going to hear me speaking in tongues through a microphone. But if you ask me for prayer, I'm, I'm likely going to pray in tongues. Because for me, it's this thing where I'll pray all the English I got, but there comes a point in my time when I just feel like I don't have the words to reach into what's going on in your situation. I'm just going to pray in tongues. And I believe somehow my mind is unfruitful, but I feel God is, there's this thing going on. It's powerful. Best part of my walk with God, honestly. First Corinthians 14, 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy as the band would come. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done fittingly and in order. The last myth is this. I apologize for going a couple minutes late. That speaking in tongues was only for the Christians in the New Testament. This is a belief that gets kicked around a lot. And it comes from a single verse in the Bible. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. 
It says this, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And this belief that that this scripture is saying the tongues will cease. It's called cessationism. That's the name of the theology. What they believe is, is that when it says that which is perfect comes, everything else stops. What they believe is when scripture was canonized, when it was all gathered together, that that means that which is perfect. And so therefore, God doesn't need to speak in any other way. This is the only way in which God speaks now. It's, it's the only way. But can, can I tell you, that's not the intent of the passage at all. Number one, it, it, not only does it say that tongues will cease, it also says knowledge will cease. Knowledge has not ceased. And most believers would, would, would agree that even prophecy has not ceased. So, so why do we categorize tongues as the one that ceased? Here's what it's talking about when it says that which is perfect will come. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. What is it? What am I telling you? What I'm telling you, that which is perfect will come is the return of Jesus Christ, where he brings his bride to him. Like, that's the moment that perfection comes. It's God has, at that point, when you're with him, when, when you're beside him, you don't need prophecy, and you don't need all these things. But I'm just telling you, God has given gifts to the church. And the way the church can be most effective in the world is when we just stop thinking that as long as we have preachers with microphones, we're good. Instead, what would happen if every young girl and every old man and every uh, young man and old woman in this room recognized the gifts and callings of God in their life and said, God, I want to develop a relationship with you that includes gifts that you offer transform the world would change your workplace who's it for in Acts chapter 2 verse 39 it says it's for you for your children and somebody right now is like ah pastor that's contextually that's talking about Jews in the first century on the southern steps of Jerusalem got it I get it and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's us. It's available to you. It's not demanded of you. It's available to you. And as I close, I just want to say it it has been the most powerful, impactful piece of my walk with God. There's been times in my marriage when I just felt like I didn't know what to do. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever been in a season in my marriage where I just felt like, I just feel like we can't get on the same page. And I'll try to pray about it, but when I pray about it, it feels like every time I pray, I'm like, God, would you just change her? Would you help her to see that hunting is important? Like, but what I find is in those times when we can't get on the same page, if I can get alone in the living room when everybody else is in bed, and I can turn on some worship music, not loud enough to wake the kids, but just, I just get down on my hands and knees, I just start 
talking to God. And when words run out and I run into this place of praying in tongues, there's just something that edifies, that changes and transforms inside of me. And I don't know how it works, but I know this, when I'm speaking mysteries to God and I stand back up, something in my heart is transformed. And it's been so beneficial in our marriage. It's been so beneficial for our kids when, when kids are driving you nuts. And so you, 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 your parents know this. You go into their room while they're sleeping and you just pray over them. And I don't have the words to pray. Sometimes I just pray in tongues over my kids because I know God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And I don't know, I don't know how to articulate all of that all the time. But it's a gift from God. And I want it in my life. Would you stand with me across the room? Would you just raise your hands towards heaven, everybody? God, we recognize that your, your word is alive and it's true. And that you want more than just people that follow a philosophy. You want people that follow and pursue after you. God, I pray right now for every person in this room that your gifts would be activated in this room. Lord, that we begin to hear stories of people who are able to recognize what you're doing and they speak it. People that are able to recognize what's going on and say it. God, I pray right now that starting today, for the next week, the next couple months, that there would just be countless stories of men and women that say, I, I was at home, I was praying in the shower, and I began to speak in tongues. I, did, I just did not expect, people that say, I was driving to work and I had to pull over because I was speaking in tongues. God, I just pray that you pour out your spirit in this house. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed. Keep your eyes closed. Here's, here's what, I, what I really want to offer. Maybe you're in this room today and for you, if you were being honest, you would say, I am, I am far from God. I'm not where I should be with God. Maybe you've never drawn close to God or maybe you were once close with him but you recognize you are far. If that's you, the Lord is calling you right now. He's saying, come to me. Stop fighting. Stop struggling. Come to me. If you're in this place and you, you want to draw close to God. You want to say, I want him to be the Lord of my life. I'm tired of being far from him. If that's you, would you put your hand up so I can see you? Come on, I see those hands. I see those hands. Listen, the Bible's very, very clear on this. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You'll be drawn close to him. So for those of you that just raised your hand, here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, or say that we know don't please God. We're going to believe in the life-transforming power of Jesus' resurrection. And when we do, he's going to make us right with him. Why don't we all pray this together just to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters that are responding. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. Would you forgive me? I'm turning away from them now. 
I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was buried, and rose three days later. And right now, I'm placing all of my faith and hope in him. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I'll follow you every day. Come on, church family. Let's give a hand to those people who just made a great decision. Best decision you could have made. Best decision. I would say this, gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to kind of sit on this for a while because there's just a ton of questions. They develop through use. They develop through trying. Err on the side of faith. Try it. Well, I don't know if it's right. Try it. If it's wrong, you'll know it's wrong. Try it. We should be the kind of forgiving culture that is okay with somebody trying to grow in their walk with God, even if they get it wrong. So we're going to go into a moment of worship, and I just want to encourage you, in, in these moments of worship, we're, it's going to be shorter. Raise your hands. Sing out loud. Pray out loud. Invite God to do everything he wants to do in your life. He'll do it. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.